last uh, uh, couple of weeks, the month of December, we've been looking at a sermon series called Just One, and uh, it dealt with uh, just one baby in a manger, uh, just one boy in transition, just one servant serving, just one Savior saving. And today I want to share my last sermon in that series. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn back to the book of Action, the book of Acts chapter 1. Last week we were in Acts chapter 2, but I want to go back to Acts chapter 1. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, we've shared it. Matter of fact, it's part of the, the, the vision of family of grace. And the reason that we exist to be a multidimensional church is because of this verse in Acts chapter 1. So don't tune me out because I want to take a little different approach to it today. But the sermon today deals with one king returning. Last week we looked at one Savior saving. And today I want to look at a sermon dealing with one king returning. In your Bible, it says this in the book of Acts in chapter 1. Uh, if you look at if with me in verse 3, it says, After he had suffered many things, he presented himself alive. That's the difference. He was alive. He presented himself alive to them by convincing proofs, by appearing to them during this 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God for 40 days. He'd show up, he'd leave. He'd come back, he was just weaving in and out of their lives for these 40 days. And then in verse 4 it says, And while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And this, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but we will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked they ask him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, guys, it's not for you to know about times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. He didn't ask permission from anybody else. He set them by his authority. And here's what it says, but you guys, here's what I want you to be concerned about. You, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Here's what it says. Uh, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and around the world. And after this, he said, as he said this, he, they, he was taken up. And as they were watching, a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you just stand here gazing, looking up into the heavens? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same manner that you've seen him going into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called uh, the Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the upper room upstairs, and there was these guys there, it lists them, and they continued in prayer along with the women, including Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, as we look at this today, there's a couple of things I want to share with you. We've looked at a sermon from the baby in the manger to the boy in transition to the man on a mission to the servant serving to the Savior saving today to the king returning. 
You see, we looked at last week at the day of Pentecost and how the message of salvation was there. How Peter looked at those people from every nationality, from all those different people groups, over 16 different nationalities were represented in Acts chapter 2. That's why God wants us to be a multidimensional church, because he birthed the church in a multidimensional way. When he birthed the church in Acts chapter 2 on that day, there were people that didn't speak the same language. They didn't look the same way. They were from different social economical backgrounds. They had a, their economics were different. Their nationalities were different. Their ethnicities were different. Everything about them was different. Their generations were different. And when the the Holy Spirit sat down in that place, it was to bring about the unification of the body of Christ. And in that picture, what God is saying to us is, I want you to now take this multi-dimensional body and go represent this all over the world. You see, for some reason, Jesus came to unite us, but religion came to divide us. Not just on religious principles such as Baptist and Pentecostal and Episcopal and Methodist and all the array out there, but what, the, what Jesus came to do was to unite us. But what the world wants to do, religion wants to divide us by creed. I want you to know the only creed that you need to cling to is this, the one that the Peter said on that day. This same Jesus that you crucified is resurrected and he is the Lord and he is in all and through all and for all, every man, woman, boy and girl. And then after we were divided by religion, by denomination, the, the world set about dividing us by ethnicity. And then when we were no longer divided by just ethnicity, it was by economics. And let me find people who are in the same cultural realm as I so that I'm not uncomfortable doing life in my church. I want everybody to be like me. I want them to live like I live. I want them to do life like I do life. And then when it wasn't enough to divide us on economics we went a little bit further and we divide now on generation and we have one worship service one way because ah uh, man the old people don't like this music and the young people don't like this music so we have preachers preaching and having three different sermons on one Sunday with three different churches I know of a church in our area that is a church of 600 and they have three different congregations because every congregation is defined by worship. I'm telling you at Family of Grace, we have existed for 10 years not to be defined by what we sing, but who we sing about. Not to be defined by what we believe, but the one we believe in. And it's Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. And I'm telling you today that what God is looking for in this new dimension, when He's coming back, He is looking for a church and looks like the church on the day of Pentecost. The one that He birthed into existence that had the birthmark of the Holy Spirit and not the birthmark of, of religiosity. That's the one the king's returning for. That's the one the king's returning for. We got people who can't even worship together and they expect to go to heaven together. Hello, somebody. There's four things I want you to write down. Four things I want you to write down. Number one, in this verse, we see the declaration. The declaration of Jesus. Write it down. The declaration Jesus gave him a declaration. These are the guys. The inner circle of Jesus. It wasn't the 120. 
It was his inner circle, and part of his inner circle's inner circle, you know, Pete, Jim, and John, that he always pulled away and had an intimate time with. And, and listen, they, they seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They seen him touch the leper. They seen the 5,000 fed. They seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They seen that Jesus with all of the blood emptied from his body, lacerated on a cross, buried in a tomb. They saw the tomb occupied they saw the tomb empty and they saw the finished work of calvary which is the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ that's the full gospel my friends and when they saw that they still was bent on religion they said but lord what about what about israel what about israel well that's the question today what about israel our current administration seems to be making a mess of our relationship with Israel. And people are wringing their hands all over the place. And there's a whole lot in the realm of eschatology with the king coming back that I could really wade off into. But I want to tell you today what Jesus told his inner circle. Don't you worry about Jesus because the father has got his apple. Uh, the apple in his eye is Israel. He's got his eye on the mark. God is bringing about the perfection of the saints in Israel. God is working that out. I'm telling you today, the world religion may be wringing their hands over the state of the relationship with Israel, but I want you to know something. God's not. God's not. And here's what he told his disciples. Quit worrying about your religion. Here's what they were asking him. What about Judaism? Lord, when are you going to make Israel the powerhouse again? Do you realize it was decades centuries before that ever happened i could chase a lot of rabbits right here but i'm gonna stay focused on his declaration don't worry about israel here's what i want you to worry about i want you to know that i'm not leaving you as orphans we're sending the holy spirit to come to you and you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you i'm telling you you've heard enough preachers preach on this power that word dunamos which means dynamite explosive powerful i tell you the church of the living god is about like a pack of wet firecrackers today and we're supposed to be dynamite for jesus and here's what he says. Here's my declaration. I want you to be my witness. I'm not just to the, those Jewish folks that you love. I want you to find that bunch of half-breeds. The people who you don't like. Those Samaritans. Those in Judea. Samaria. And when you get finished in that area, I want you to get in your little wind-driven sea vessel. And get your best pair of sandals. And go to the islands of the sea. Go around the world. Can you imagine? Those disciples standing there. Thinking he wants us to go around the world. That was before Google Earth. They couldn't even envision the earth. They didn't even have a map. They couldn't spin the globe on its axis. The way you used to do in the old days. I mean, they around the earth. What, what the world? That was the declaration of Jesus. I want you to go and I want you to build my church. And I want it to be so multidimensional that it dumbfounds the world. I'll tell you the world's a lot of things in the view, when it views the church. But dumbfounded is not one of them. I'm talking about being dumbfounded because only God could put a bunch together like that and call them family. 
I'm telling you, dumbfounded because of the, the dunamos, because of the power that rests upon it. Dumbfounded because the government is coming to the church and saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Listen, the church was not put in place to run to the government. God established it first and then government. And I want you to know what God is wanting to do in our hearts and our lives is bring us to the dimension to where we are the influencers and not the other way around. There was a declaration of Jesus and there was a declaration of the angels in this verse. Those disciples are uh, standing there and uh, they're still thinking about the fact that he wants them to go to the half-breeds. People they hate have animosity against. And they're sitting there thinking, what the, what? You know, when somebody makes a heavy statement, you're trying to register it. And all of a sudden, they're looking Jesus in the eye and he says, boys, I want you to go and I want you to take your little wind-driven sea vessel and go around the world. And they're trying to comprehend that. They're, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about Peter's little fishing vessel. You want us to take that little raggedy ship around the world? I got rid of my boat when I got out of the fishing business. I'd have to go borrow it from my daddy again. And you want me to ask my daddy, whose business I abandoned, to take his fishing vessel around the world? And they're looking at him. And about that time, as they're looking at him, before they know it, their, their eyesight is, is now looking into the heavens. Because they're talking to Jesus, and they're looking, and they're looking, and before they know it, they're looking up into the heavens, and phew, Jesus is gone. And the angels give a declaration. And he said, men of Galilee, why are you stargazing when you have the sun? Why? Are you standing here staring in the heaven when that same Jesus that you've seen, I, look, 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 all of a sudden he's standing there and all of a sudden gravity has no more pull on him. And his feet lose gravitation. He just begins to lift upward. And, and as he lifts upward, they're dumbfounded by the power of Jesus. They had seen him weave in and out over the last 40 days, but Never quite like this. Just in their sight, he just lifted up like a balloon. You would let go full of helium. And they said, men, this same Jesus that you saw leave this way is going to float back down in the same way. Now, you say, preacher, do you really believe that stuff? Well, absolutely. I'm not smart enough to not believe it. Because God said it. And everything else he said about Jesus came true. If everything he said, you remember all through this sermon, we've been talking about painting a portrait. How every Old Testament prophecy was a portrait being painted of the life of Jesus. If every brushstroke in the Old Testament came true about his birth and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, do you think I'm naive enough to believe it's not going to be true about his returning? Hello? A declaration. Then there was a separation. We already looked at it. <clears throat> Jesus ascended into heaven, but there was a different separation. The disciples were separated. I read this verse because I wanted you to see that they, for 40 days, Jesus had been interweaving in their life, coming back and forth, in and out, doing life together. 
And now he said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait on the promise of the Father. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't you leave. Don't you leave Jerusalem without the Holy Spirit. And here's what, those inner, here's what the inner circle did. It lists them right here. I skipped their names right there. They went back and they went to Jerusalem and they went into an upper room. And they separated themselves from the world. And they prayed and they fasted and they believed God while they waited on the promise of the Father. They didn't go back to their merchant shop. They didn't go back to fishing at this point. They didn't go back and just go to the movies and the Greek theater and all that. They didn't, they didn't go to, the, to all of that. They went to an upper room and they set themselves apart to wait on the promise of the Father. They separated them. Jesus separated himself from the disciples. The disciples separated themselves from the world. That's why a family of grace, tomorrow we're engaging in that wonderful time of the year that some of you call Bean Month. That time of the year that we commit ourselves to prayer and fasting for 21 days. At Family of Grace, we don't care how you fast. We just care that you fast. We're not trying to make one size fit all, but for 21 days in the month of January, we're going to pray and we're going to fast because, guys, we have to have a miracle. One of the reasons that Family of Grace is able to, to uh, do the ministry that it does is able to minister to 1,500 people a week on a church budget of 300 people, 200 people is because of the time that we set ourselves aside for prayer and fasting and believing God. And I want to encourage you to take the journey with me because we need the power of God. We we don't want to be a, a, a pack of wet firecrackers just running around with a little spitting and sputtering going on. I tell you where we're going. This city of Alexandria where people are being gunned down in the streets, where they're being gunned down left and right and robberies on the rise and, and drug addiction is on the rise and overdose is on the rise and the world is falling apart. I'm telling you, we don't need a firecracker. We need the power of God. And sometimes the only way the power will come upon us is by prayer. Prayer and fasting. If Jesus set himself apart, if the disciples set himself apart, why wouldn't the church of a living God set themselves apart today? The miracles that we enjoyed all last year, I believe, were reaping the harvest of the planting during those 21 days. We need to pray like never before. Look at all these just one names on that board that we wrote down. We need to pray like never before. Those people come to know Jesus as their Savior. I'm telling you, it's nuts. We're a little handful of believers here, a little ragamuffin church that's going to go and try to launch another campus on the other side of town. Why? Because that place is without witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over 75 years ago, God birthed a church on the south side of the city to be the witness to that part of the town. And bless God, it's our position, it's our responsibility Responsibility to go and bear witness. Will you have to go to church more? Yes. Will you have to pray more? Yes. Will you have to serve more? Yes. Will the rewards be out of the world? Yes. We need a miracle. We need a miracle. And we've seen them at that South Campus. We've seen them. Wish I had time to tell you about them. Just last week, God gave us a $60,000 miracle. For that South Campus renovation. 
Our back was against the wall. We were running out of funds. We didn't know what to do. Went to take the carpet up, full of asbestos flooring, falling apart. What are we going to do? We got to hire somebody to come get that mess out of there. We didn't have the money to do it, and God showed up just on, just in time. From faith to faith. Over the, over the month of January, I don't want you to miss a Sunday. Because we're going to take you through the corridors of the history of this little church. It started out in the living room of Kim and Tony Boyd's home with just a little handful of believers that couldn't even fill up that house. And today is ministering over 1,500 people. Separation. The third thing is expectation. They waited expectingly. They didn't leave Jerusalem. And guess what happened on the 50th day, which was the day of Pentecost. Understand, Pentecost was something of significance in the Jewish religion. I'm going to spare you the details because most of you really don't care about it. But 50 was significant. There's a reason that the Pentecostal denomination is called Pentecost. Because it's significant in the life of the Jewish believer and the life of Christ. And it was on not on the 40th day, not on the 49th day, but on the 50th day 10 days for 10 days they shut themselves up in the upper room for 10 days they prayed well i'm telling you they prayed for 10 days and they saw 3,000 saved today we pray for 10 minutes and we see nobody saved we need the power of god on this thing your family needs the power of god they had expectation in chapter 2 it says they were waiting and it says in verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost had arrived, it was a normal day. They didn't call it Pentecost after the Holy Spirit showed up. It was a significant day in the life of the Jewish believer. And on the day of Pentecost had fully arrived and they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the place with the, the whole house where they were staying with tongues and like flames of fire. And they were dividing and appeared together. And I'm telling you, it just messed everybody up. They said, these men are drunk and all of that. And we looked at that in last week's sermon. But here's what happened. God brought about unification you remember let me just touch on this i'm gonna touch base and run last week we looked at how man was trying to get to heaven and they were building a tower and god said i don't want them to build a tower made with hands so he came down and scrambled their language and every man spoke a different tongue and then they all separated and the work ceased in acts chapter 2 Every man spoke a different language still. But on this day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and it was Christmas morning for the Holy Spirit, and he fell down on that place, all of a sudden, it wasn't about the gift of tongues, but the interpretation of tongues. And every man heard him in his own language. Do you realize it had been thousands of years since the Tower of Babel? When God put the gift of tongues on man and diversified their language and sent them all around the, the corner of the world, of the world. But what I want you to know, in Jerusalem on that day, God used the gift of tongues now to bring about the hearing of the same language. You see, because now they didn't have to build, oh my goodness, they didn't have to build a tower to get to heaven made with hands because Jesus had built a tower. Jesus had spanned across the abyss. Jesus had paid it all. Well, you, you picking up what I'm putting down. Let me move on i have a preaching fit on that by itself now, they didn't need a tower jesus is now the access 
the last thing. Not only were they waiting expectantly, and then God showed up faithful just like he said he was. It says on the day of Pentecost, when that significant day got there, God showed up again. And I'm telling you, if you think there was some commotion on Christmas morning when that little ragamuffin band of shepherds showed up in the stable where they were saying, where's the one? I'm telling you, there was a commotion showing up when there were 16 different nations, different cultural dynamics, different economical dynamics, different generational dynamics. And God settled in on that thing. Oh, there was some, there was some excitement happening. And last of all, wait with anticipation of his return. He says, uh, men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing when he gave you an order? Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'm going to give you power so you can sit and gather together and be happy all the way to heaven. I, I just want you to come together and I want you to sing some good songs and do a little praying and do a little preaching. But most of all, I just want you to stare up into heaven waiting for me to come back. Is that what he said? He didn't say put a man on the wall to sound the trumpet waiting for the eastern sky to split. He said, no, 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 here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your little wind-driven sea vessel and the best pair of sandals you got, the knapsack. And I want you to go around the world. And if you got enough money and you got enough faith, when you get to the next body of land, you may find your little donkey to make your travel a little easier. And that little band of disciples, a ragamuffin group, tax collectors, fishermen, farmers, Every different demographic made up in that band of disciples came together and took the gospel around the world. As you go, be watching. Because that same Jesus is coming back in the same manner. When we were in sermon prep for this sermon, I thought about this. We're waiting on Jesus to return. And all the Bible scholars that study end time prophecies talking about how quick it's going to be now with everything escalating in Israel and studying all the ins and outs and the ducking and dodging and darting and weaving. And uh, Look, I mean, I, he said go make disciples. And so while we're waiting on him to come back, he's waiting on us. Because when will Jesus come back? He says, when this gospel has been spread around the world. That's when I'm coming back. Gail, when you went to Kenya, you're putting the gospel in an unreached place. When we go up on a mountain of Peru and there's no other church there, and we build a church there, we're putting the gospel where there is no gospel presence. You know what? While the church is waiting on Jesus, Jesus is waiting on the church. And one day, this gospel will be preached. And when it is, who knows? Jesus said, I don't even know. I I just love this picture, and this really blows minds of theologians when we try to understand the 
the complexity of the Godhead and Father and Son and Holy Spirit and all this. <clears throat> all I know is that the Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And all I know, one day, somehow, he's going to look over at that son and say, go get your bride. And he's going to stand up and come and get her. And it says, concerning the times and the seasons, the son doesn't even know. Only the Father. Here's what I know. This same Jesus who left shall return in the same manner. My question is not, do you believe he's coming? Do you love his appearing? I remember one time, uh, I know some of you may find this hard to believe, but <clears throat> I got suspended from high school. And uh, <clears throat> my dad was a disciplinarian. And uh, one of the worst whippings I ever got was in front of my class. I got in trouble at school, and he whipped me in front of my whole class. That's pretty embarrassing. And... Uh, but it was harvest time. And so my dad was in the middle of harvest when I got suspended from high school. And uh, he couldn't come to school and take care of business. And I couldn't stay at school, so I had to go home. And boy, I love my dad. I love my dad so much. I'm telling you, on that day, I did not love his appearance. you love his appearing? I'm not asking you, do you love Jesus? Are you ready for his appearing? Because that Savior saving is the king that's returning. This same Jesus. I don't care if you, honestly, this is a non-essential to me. I mean, whether you're an amulinist, premillennialist, postmillennialist, Pan millennials, just hope it all pans out. Look, the question is not do we believe when he's coming, it's that he's coming. Now that's important to me and the theology behind that. And there's a lot that I could really go into detail with you about that on. But the question is not when we think he's coming, because nobody really knows. God said nobody knows. But he's coming. Do you love his appearing? Well, I met my dad that day, and, uh, whoo, Lord. <clears throat> my dad was a specialist in delivering licks. And uh, when he got through, I had to take myself, and uh, he said, well, I guess you can go run that combine for three days. And uh, I had to endure the discipline of a loving father. But I'm so glad he loved me enough to discipline. You know what happened. I got suspended because I did something when it was just me and one other friend at school. I didn't think nobody was looking. I went home and I thought, how did he find out about that? There was nobody there. Nobody else. Was there. How did the father know that? The father always knows. And your father in heaven knows. And today, there's some of you in here, you're a believer. Oh, you love Jesus. You probably got a bumper sticker on your car. Something on your wall. Me and my house will serve the Lord. Some little trinket. Little keychain. T-shirt. Honk if you love Jesus. I don't know. Well, you love Jesus. 
But do you love his appearing? He said, boys, I think he left you something to do. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Guys, I know it's crazy. It's crazy that this little bitty small church would venture out and try to duplicate what we're doing on the south side town. But there's over 800 homes, three apartment complexes, at the furthest point, probably within a 15-minute walk of that church on South Campus. We've knocked on every door, some of them many times in that neighborhood. This isn't theory from the census, from the United States government. It's from shoe leather census, from our summer missionaries, that over 90% of the people that live in that 15-minute walk from that building is unchurched. If we don't go, who will? In this new year, we're kicking off ministry fair. I know it makes some of you cringe because we're asking for commitments to serve in just one spot. Guys, in this new year with the undertaking that we're taking, we need some of you to quit sitting there staring Quit sitting there being entertained and start serving. Family of grace exists. In the beginning, um, you ask us to define our church. I know I'm a little long, but I let you out two weeks in a row early. If you weren't here, you missed out. We would say, the easy, they said, well, tell me about your church. And the easiest way to define our church was that we tried to do 80% of our ministry off campus where people were. And it's been harder and harder to keep that the more normal we've become over the years, to keep that where it needs to be. Guys, some of you serve relentlessly in more than one place. And I want to say thank you. But our city is dependent on you. And heaven is waiting on you. Are you ready? Do you love his appearing? I mean, if he came back right now in that same manner that he left, would you go? Would you be called away? If not today, punch your ticket. Give your heart to him. I'm not trying to make you a member of this church. I want you to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Look, if you don't want to join this church, that's fine. We'll find you one. But get, get to be a kingdom citizen. Instead of a church citizen first. How do you do that? I mean, right where you are. You just say, Lord, I know that you went that you were born, that you lived, you died, and you rose again for me. I believe that. I admit that I'm a sinner. Confess. Say, Lord, I want you to 
come into my heart, take up residence. I know some of you, you've been contemplating this for some time. And you've been trying to fix everything. Quit trying to fix it. You know what's amazing about little children is they never want to do what they can do. They always want to show up and do what they can't do. Our little precious Alice, always trying to do something she can't do. I, I can do it. I can do it. I can work this. I, I don't need your help. I, I, I admire your willpower. And after a long time of frustration, she comes back and says, can you, do, can you just quit trying to work out your own salvation in the flesh and work it out in the spirit and say, Lord, here's my messed up life. You have an addiction? Bring him the addiction. He didn't say get holy and then come to me. He said, bring your filthy rags to me, and I'll make them white as snow. And then some of you are like me today. My dad, a long time ago. I mean, you're ready, but you just don't love his appearing. Oh, and you know you'd get to heaven. But there's that, there's that beam of judgment seat for the believer where he tries all the works of our flesh. And uh, well, that's another sermon, but you're picking up what I'm putting down. Everything you do to the spirit will be like precious jewels that will be refined and pure and pure. But everything you've done to the flesh will be like wood, hay, and stubble. Just be ashes. Maybe today you just need to do what I did and go look at the daddy right in the eye. And even though you may not love his appearance, just say, Daddy, I love you. And you know what that heavenly father is going to do? He'll put his arms around you and say, I love you too. I love you too. And then some of you are ready. I mean, you're hot-hearted, you're blood-bought, you're zealous about the Lord. You just need to get plugged in because he's waiting on you. Amen. Would you join us? In this crazy task to reach the city for Jesus Christ. The wealthy, the poor. Every ethnic group. One of the greatest days of my week, Sister Marie, is on Wednesday nights when you finish ESL. And I get to see those Muslim ladies leaving that South Campus. Muslim ladies coming every week to that South Campus to learn how to speak English. But what they don't know is they're going to they're gonna find Jesus somewhere in that mix. Happiest day of my life is watching them walk to their car. Because we're reaching out in, into a diverse, eclectic group to make a church reflect the birthmark of Acts chapter 2. Would you join us on this journey? I don't know what your decision needs to be today, but every one of us needs to make a decision.